This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. I'm excited to continue our study in the book of John this morning as we call ourselves to believe, to believe the truths that we encounter in the scriptures. Last week, we called ourselves to believe that Jesus came. We called ourselves to know the supernatural identity of Jesus, to see the miraculous incarnation of Jesus, to listen to the reliable testimony of his witnesses, and to weigh the eternal impact of our response. Believing that Jesus came to earth as the incarnation of God is essential for the Christian faith. This week, we're going to call ourselves to believe that Jesus calls. Now, when I think about the call of Jesus, I think about my path in the faith throughout my life. Growing up, I definitely believed in God, and I've always been very passionate about loving God. But it wasn't really until about college, about that time, when things really started to hit me. Through faithful preaching of the word and through a consistent and healthy diet of, God, of the scriptures and also others investing in me intentionally, I was beginning to see that the call of Jesus was much more radical than I had initially thought. I was beginning to understand that Jesus has a radical call for all of us, and that is that Jesus calls us to true discipleship. Now, you'll see that in your notes. Jesus calls us to true discipleship. When we're going through the New Testament, you'd probably notice that the term disciple is used very often. In fact, there's about 270 times that the New Testament uses some form of the term disciple. And of these 270 times, we could categorize most of these disciples into three categories. Some of these times, we see great examples of discipleship to follow, and other times we see not-so-great examples to follow. Now, we'll see in depth what Scripture has to say about true discipleship in just a moment, but for now, I wanted to highlight some things that we should not be if we want to be true disciples. The first thing we should not be if we want to be true disciples is we should not just be casual listeners. We should not just be casual listeners. This could be categorized by someone who is consistently going to church and regularly listens to the words of Jesus. This could be someone who even agrees with some of the teachings of Jesus. Maybe it's a cultural tradition or a family faith that has been passed down, but it's nothing more than casual listening. The second thing we should not be if we want to be true disciples is we should not just be convinced listeners. We should not just be convinced listeners. A convinced listener could be someone who listens and agrees with the words of Jesus, someone who is convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, but that's where it ends. There's not much more to this person's faith after simple belief. Instead, what we should all be striving towards when it comes to true discipleship is that we should all be committed followers. We should all be committed followers. This is a person whose faith is immovable. 
This person is committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growing. Now, the sad truth is that there are probably a lot more people who fit in the first two categories than the third. This was even true in the first century. After the crucifixion of Jesus, we read that many of the followers of Jesus had scattered. Many of them were not committed followers, and they ran once they were presented with fear. That can be true for so many people today. They follow Jesus when it's convenient, but they're not committed. And they turn from him whenever things get hard or whenever they chase worldly pleasures and riches, etc. Now, we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning studying what true discipleship looks like for the committed followers of Jesus. We'll be picking up in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, so you guys can turn there. Here we'll be able to see examples of true disciples and how that can apply to our lives. So follow along with me as I read through this passage. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus and walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. There are truly so many things that we could unpack from this passage, but for this morning, I simply want to show you what true discipleship looks like by highlighting three key components that every committed follower of Jesus must do. The first truth to see here is that every true disciple of Jesus must be willing to abandon everything for the faith. We must be willing to abandon everything for the faith. We see this all throughout the passage. In verses 36 and 37, it says, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
the two disciples heard John the Baptist say this, and they followed Jesus. And in verses 38 and 39, the disciples asked, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, come and you will see. So they went and stayed with him. We see that the disciples immediately followed Jesus and abandoned everything. The call is radical. And there are so many implications here that if we're not careful, we'll miss them. The truth is that the disciples literally did abandon everything. And in order to see that in a more relevant way for us, we're going to look at some of the things that they abandoned in order to follow Jesus and call ourselves to do the same. First, we must be willing to abandon our comfort. We must be willing to abandon our comfort. We see this in verses 36 through 39, where the disciples follow Jesus and stay with him. The disciples left behind everything that they knew as normal. I don't know about you guys, but to me, that's pretty challenging. Think about it. These guys were willing to abandon the comfort of their own homes to follow Jesus and stay with him. It's pretty radical to do that without seriously considering all the factors. Like, I've got a fridge filled with food at my house and a nice couch and a big TV, nice computer. I have heat and AC and a comfortable bed that I can sleep in every night. And most of us in this room are similarly blessed. The temptation is to be like, all right, sounds good, Jesus. Thank you so much for the invitation to follow you really means a lot. Uh, I'm going to go home and uh, have some dinner. You know, the the Celtics game is on. Can't miss that, you know. And uh, I've also really got to catch up on some sleep. You know, it's it's been a rough week. So uh, what do you say, Jesus? We'll meet up around 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Sound good with you? Right? That's the temptation. It's uncomfortable to leave behind the things that we know as normal. But Jesus is calling us to abandon our comfort for the sake of following him. Are we willing? Second, we must be willing to abandon our paths. We must be willing to abandon our paths. Now for this, I'm talking about things like our careers or jobs, our vocations, our pursuits of degrees and status, etc. We see this in the scriptures when the disciples leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Now, As far as we know, these guys didn't have prestigious careers. So you're probably thinking that it must have been much easier for them to abandon their paths, right? We know that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. We also know that Matthew was a tax collector, and the careers of the other disciples are unknown, but we can assume that they weren't prestigious careers based on what we read in the text. But the truth is that though these weren't the most prestigious careers, they were stable. They were able to support themselves and make a living. And as long as nothing absolutely drastic happened, they had pretty good job security. This call to abandon our paths really hits home for me. And I can really identify with these disciples because I'm going through it in my own life right now. Some of you guys know, but if you didn't, I'm currently a high school Spanish teacher, proud of it. And uh, in the past year, I've felt an overwhelming burden for God's mission. So much so that 
I decided to enroll in seminary to explore more about what God might be specifically calling me to. And I can say today that I am so eager for, the, for when the day comes for me to transition to full-time ministry. Whatever it may look like, whatever role I play, I'm not sure yet, but I am so excited. And even though I have a great job now with a good, consistent salary, with great benefits and job security, I am so willing to abandon all of that for the call that Jesus has for my life. I promise you, I don't care one bit about the salary or the benefits or any of the little details. It doesn't matter to me. I know and am confident that God is always with me and he will always provide for me if I seek his kingdom first. That's a fact and I rest in that truth. So are you willing to abandon your path if Jesus calls you to? Next, we must be willing to abandon our possessions. We must be willing to abandon our possessions. We see that the disciples leave everything behind to follow Jesus. And as we continue the study of the book of John, we will quickly realize just how abandoned their possessions were. They didn't take any of it with them when they followed Jesus. Not a single piece of it. They left it all behind. And again, you might be thinking about the living conditions of these disciples and come to the conclusion that they probably had nothing worth taking with them anyways, you know? But that's, that's not the point. Even if they may not have been rich by our standards, they still had careers, they had jobs, they had money, right? They still had enough money to, to have possessions and things that they probably enjoyed and liked and cherished, right, just like we do. The point is that you can't follow Jesus and cling to your possessions. Matthew 6.21 says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants our hearts, not our stuff. So we need to abandon our possessions for the sake of true discipleship. Next, we must be willing to abandon our status. We must be willing to abandon our status. Now, we talked about this already in terms of their careers, but any status the disciples had in their careers was now gone since they basically quit and never returned. Right? You think about it in your job. If you quit and never returned, your status, your seniority, all that, gone. Right? Some might say that because of the fact that the disciples didn't have prestigious jobs, following Jesus could have been some sort of attempt to gain religious status among their people. But this is just far from reality. Jesus was often rejected by many of the religious leaders at the time. And even in the small circle amongst the disciples, Jesus warned them sharply about desiring status. In Matthew 23, 11, Jesus teaches his disciples that the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we must abandon our status and embrace a lifestyle of humility and true discipleship. Next, we must be willing to abandon our families. 
we must be willing to abandon our families. Now, this is the part where some of you might be saying, is this guy out of his mind? Is he really saying that we need to abandon our families in order to follow Jesus? That's crazy. Well, I hear you, and I understand, but that's why I want to point us to the Word of God so you might hear it from Jesus himself and not just from me. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. What does that even mean, some of you might be asking. Well, just like many of the disciples who abandon everything in order to follow Jesus, we too must be willing to abandon even our families for the sake of the call of Jesus. We know that Peter was married, one of the disciples, and it's possible that other disciples may have been as well. We're not, we're not certain on that. Yet Peter left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. Now, that's not saying that Peter never saw his wife again and just completely left her stranded. But what it does mean is that he radically pursued and followed Jesus, even though it meant sacrificing his relationship with his family. I know that is extremely radical, and it could be tough to hear. But the truth is that God is so much more amazing than any earthly relationships we could ever have. He is so worth it. And lastly, we must be willing to abandon ourselves. We must be willing to abandon ourselves. We see how the disciples don't put any terms or conditions on Jesus when they decide to follow him. They abandon themselves completely. They put aside their desires and their preferences they submit themselves to his will and trust that his ways are better than their ways. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we see that we need to abandon ourselves in order to truly follow Jesus. Now, up until this point in the message, there are probably some of you who aren't really liking what you're hearing. There's some tension there, right? There might even be some confusion in your hearts and your minds right now. You might be asking, so what's he saying? Should I quit my job or stop pursuing my degree for Jesus? Or do I really need to abandon all of my possessions and the things that I love so much? Or do I really need to hate my family in order to be a true disciple? Or do I really need to deny myself to follow Jesus? If that's you this morning, then I get it. And I'd like to share what David Platt has to say on this topic and hopefully clear the air a little bit. He says, Jesus may not call all of us to leave our possessions this week, every single thing we own. He may not call you to leave your profession this week and what you've built your whole life revolving around doing. Or to say, my family is going to be in the background of my devotion to Jesus in the ways that these disciples did. But what he is showing us here is what this means, is that all of those things in our lives 
we are to hold so loosely to, so loosely. And we grip, we cling so tightly to the person of Jesus Christ and the glory of the kingdom of God, and we live for that. And if that means we let go of these other things, we are glad to do it because we are embracing Christ with all of our hearts. That is radical abandonment for the glory of Christ. I love the way David Platt explains all of this. We should hold to these things so loosely and cling to Christ so tightly that we would truly be willing to abandon everything for the faith if we had to. Now, the ultimate reason that the disciples were willing to abandon everything for their faith is because they encountered someone who was worth surrendering everything to, and his name is Jesus. In the same way, we must be willing to surrender everything to Jesus. We must be willing to surrender everything to Jesus. It's very clear to see that the disciples of Jesus surrender everything to him, except for Judas, who ended up betraying him, but the others. But I love how we see it in verse 49 in the response of Nathanael. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This is his response. What an amazing response of surrender. I think it's helpful if we define the term surrender. To surrender is to cease resistance and to submit to the authority of something or someone. Can we see how Nathaniel surrenders everything to Jesus? There's a lot we could say about his response, but for this morning, we'll focus on two major components of his surrender that we should also imitate. First, we must be willing to surrender our hearts. We must be willing to surrender our hearts. Can we see the heart of Nathaniel bursting out of his chest with these words? His response is so powerful and it's so moving. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. The son of God. It's almost as if we can hear the joy coming off of the text. Don't miss how big of a statement this was. These people were very religious people. And for someone to claim someone as the son of God meant that this was the person whom they had been waiting for for generations. These disciples have been praying for and waiting for the son of God for their entire life lives. Now, although the Bible doesn't specifically say it, you can imagine how intense this moment must have been for Nathaniel. So much of his life was going to change, and he knew it. This was probably a very emotional encounter for him, and it had to be. This is how all of us should respond when we encounter Jesus by surrendering our hearts to him. Too often people go about their walks in discipleship and just go through the motions, right? They read the word, they go to church on Sundays, they might join a community group, 
might serve the church or the community, but they're missing something. Their hearts are somewhere else. Deep down, something else has all of their affection. Deep down, they enjoy the pleasures of this world more than the riches of his glory. Deep down, they'd rather be watching TV than reading the life-giving word of God. Deep down, they'd rather be on their feet at a concert praising their favorite band than on their knees worshiping the holy king. Deep down, they haven't surrendered their hearts to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we need to be like Nathaniel. The gospel should be very personal to us. It should be emotional. It cannot just be something that we mentally agree with. It needs to resonate in our hearts. Jesus should be the very essence of our desires. When we listen to God's word and when we sing together, when we pray, this should be very emotional for us. We need to see Jesus as the son of God and be willing to surrender our hearts to him as Nathaniel did. The second component of surrender that we should imitate from Nathaniel is our obedience. We must be willing to surrender our obedience. Look at the second half of verse 49. Nathaniel says, you are the king of Israel. This was a big deal for him to say. At the time, Israel was under Roman authority, and they were desperately waiting for a new king to step up and take control. Now, some were expecting a political king and were convinced that it would be so, but as we know, that's not why Jesus came to earth. He came to be the spiritual king over his people. Regardless, don't miss the point here. Nathaniel declaring Jesus as king is an outward expression of something that was happening on the inside. Nathaniel was surrendering his obedience to Jesus. By declaring Jesus as king, he was pledging allegiance and submission to him. We should be willing to do the same. If someone disobeyed their king, there could be very serious consequences. So for Nathaniel to respond this way was a very genuine surrender of obedience. Now, I know there are a lot of parents in the room, so you guys will be able to attest to what I'm about to say. When parents are raising children, there sometimes, maybe, comes a point where the child becomes stubborn and thinks that they know best about a specific topic. And some parents are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there at one point or another, right? It could be about staying up too late or going to a certain party or using drugs recreationally or underage drinking, you know, whatever it may be. They might say something like, yeah, but you just don't know what it's like. Or trust me, it is not as bad as you think. And depending on how things go, this could lead to the child disobeying his or her parents and doing what they think is right or whatever they want. But a good child will obey their parents 
even when they don't see eye to eye. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions here, but you get the picture, right? For the most part, a good child will listen to their loving parents. This is how it should be for us. We should obey Jesus even when we're confused or don't see eye to eye with him. We should obey Jesus even when it's inconvenient for us. We need to be willing to surrender our obedience to him. And it's much easier to do this when we have surrendered our hearts to him. The two go hand in hand, right? And they fuel each other. We obey him because we love him. And when we obey him, we see how good he is and how good his ways are, which causes us to love him more in our hearts, which fuels our obedience, which then fuels our hearts more, right? And it's a never-ending cycle. The two go hand in hand. So we've seen that true disciples must be willing to abandon everything for their faith and must be willing to surrender everything to Jesus. Lastly, I want to show us that we must be willing to risk everything for the gospel. We must be willing to risk everything for the gospel. We see that in verses 41 and 42 where Andrew said, We have found the Messiah and brought him to Jesus. And also in verses 45 through 46 where Philip and Nathaniel, well, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Come and see. Right? They immediately began sharing this great news. And they knew how bold their claims were. They knew there were risks involved with this. But they knew that the gospel was worth the risk. First, we must be willing to risk our security. We must be willing to risk our security. Not too long after the disciples begin to follow Jesus, he shares some scary news with them. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Imagine being hated and persecuted because of the fact that you follow Jesus. We are very, very blessed here in America, that we don't have to worry too much about that. But the truth is, many believers around the world are worried about their safety and security every day because they follow Jesus. Just as the disciples in the first century were persecuted, many believers today are too. The other thing that I'm sure I can guess that most of us haven't considered too much is that there might come a day where things change for us. There might come a day where here in America, we are legitimately persecuted for our faith. Have you ever thought of that? That could happen. That could be a reality for us in our lifetime. Or maybe one day you might move to another country where you are persecuted for your faith, will you be ready and willing to embrace the risk? It's a scary thought, which is probably why we don't think about it too much. 
But Jesus says, if we deny him before others here on earth, then he will deny us before the Father in heaven. If worse comes to worse, and I pray it never does, but if it does, are you going to risk your position before the throne of God? Or will you be willing to risk your security for the gospel? Second, we must be willing to risk our reputation. We must be willing to risk our reputation. For the most part, these disciples definitely were not ashamed to be known as Jesus followers, right? They followed him wherever he went. It was pretty obvious that they were Jesus followers, right? Now, my personal favorite disciple to read about is Peter. I love the story of Peter because I just so resonate with his character, the good and the bad. I feel so unworthy to be called by Jesus, just as Peter did, right? And we see that when he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man the first time that they met. I feel that way. And yet I cling to his every word and am so passionate to follow him like a child, just like Peter was. And we get to see a lot of Peter's downfalls, right? We see how impulsive he can be in the decisions he makes and the things that he says. We see how deceitful his heart is, right? And we see this on full display when he denies Jesus three times. He didn't want to be known as a Jesus follower when there was potential for persecution. He didn't want to be recognized as a disciple when there was danger near. He didn't want to be known for his faith when all hope was gone. We can be just like Peter sometimes. When our coworkers are talking about evolution and creation, we're like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy that everyone thinks is uneducated, so... And we don't want to be known as Christians, right? When our professor is talking about psychology and modern parenting and how we shouldn't discipline our kids but instead use positive reinforcement, we'd rather not identify with Jesus, right? When our friends are talking about gender and sexuality, we don't want to seem as closed-minded, so we'd rather stay silent. Or when our family is talking about politics or abortion, we'd rather not offend anyone. So we just go with the flow, and we don't take our stance with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we go and pick arguments with people. That's, that's not my point at all. My point is that we should never, ever be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, we should be extremely proud of it. Brothers and sisters, we have the truth You ever think about it that way? We have the truth, and the world doesn't. We aren't the ones to be pitied. We should be proud. Jesus' reputation was different, depending on who you asked. To some, he was exceedingly bold and offensive. But to others, the ones who truly understood him, he was extremely gracious and loving and selfless. 
We should care about what others think about us, but never at the expense of compromising or watering down the gospel or compromising our faith. We must be willing to risk our reputation in a judgmental world. Lastly, we must be willing to risk our relationships. We must be willing to risk our relationships. We see this in how the disciples immediately began to share the gospel with others. It was a natural reaction for them, right? They had just met the most incredible person in all of existence. Of course they had to tell everyone, right? So why is it so difficult for us to share the greatest news that anyone could ever hear with others? Why is it so difficult? Well, the truth is, it's uncomfortable sometimes, right? It's not easy when we know that we might be rejected. It's not easy when we know that others might disregard or disagree with us. It's not. But that shouldn't stop us. We see the great example from the disciples, and we should imitate them. We should be willing to risk every relationship we have for the gospel. You might be thinking, but I just have such a great relationship with this guy or this coworker, or I just have such a great relationship with this girl, and I don't want to mess that up. And I hear that. No one wants to sabotage their own relationships, right? That makes no sense. But let me ask you a very real question. When it's all said and done, when your life and your friend's life comes to an end, what's going to be more important? The friendship that you two had here on earth or where they'll be spending their eternity? We need to love our friends more than we love our friendships. We need to love our family members more than we love our families. We need to care about their souls. We need to care about them in such a deep way that we are willing to risk some tension in the relationship for the sake of the gospel. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. But true disciples make disciples. And Sometimes in the process, you're going to have to take a risk, and we need to be willing to risk everything for the gospel. So we've seen in the scriptures today that Jesus has a call for all of us, for every single one of us in this room, and that is that Jesus calls us to true discipleship. And as genuine disciples, we must be willing to abandon everything for the faith, Surrender everything to Jesus and risk everything for the gospel. And as you hear these truths from the scriptures, I want to call you to respond by considering both sides of the coin. On the one hand, you have the option to follow Jesus. And on the other, you have the option of rejecting Jesus. Jesus says that anyone who does not give his everything cannot be his disciple. It's a radical call. We just saw in the word that there is great sacrifice in following Jesus. But don't miss the fact that there is also great 
reward. After hearing a message like the one today, the temptation is to think that the word simply says, give, 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 sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. But let's not forget the great treasure that Jesus is. Let's not forget that there is an ocean of forgiveness and acceptance in his name. Let's not forget that he loves us unconditionally and has prepared an eternity where there is no more fear, no more pain, no more sorrow. There is great sacrifice, but there is even greater reward in Jesus. Now, on the other hand, if you choose to reject Jesus, know that there is great punishment. And these aren't my words. These are the words of God. It can be really hard to hear these challenges, but there's really, really good news for you and for me this morning. And that is that Jesus promises to be with us. I want you guys to believe that. If you believe in your heart and you truly are a follower of Jesus, he is with you and he will never leave you. So this morning, I want to call you to believe. Believe that Jesus came and believe that Jesus calls. Let's pray. God, you are a holy, holy God. You are our good and gracious King. Thank you so much for the life of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for sending your son, the son of God, down to earth. We thank you for him. We know that there is no life apart from him, and we declare that and we believe that this morning. God, as we get ready to respond in singing and praising you, I want to ask that you would remind us that we would ponder and think about the fact that you call us. You call each and every one of us to true discipleship, God. I pray that all of us, every single one of us in this room, would respond to that call in praise and adoration. We are so thankful for your word that speaks to us, God. We love you. We thank you for this morning, and we pray that in all of what we do, that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.